Amen. Great song, good job. Thank you. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. When I uh, have been speaking on Wednesdays, we've been going through the book of Colossians. And uh, this is just our sixth lesson uh, going through the book. Uh, Two weeks ago when I taught on a Wednesday, we talked about being now reconciled uh, to God by Jesus Christ. Uh, To reconcile, of course, means to restore a friendly and a close relationship that had been broken. And we know, of course, the close relationship between uh, our Creator and mankind was broken by uh, Adam's willful defiance uh, in the Garden of Eden a long, long time ago. And God gave blood sacrifices in the Old Testament that uh, temporarily uh, covered those sins and restored that relationship. And those sacrifices, of course, picture the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would fully and forever wash our sins away and restore that close, friendly relationship that God desires with man and that sensible people desire with their Creator. So for anybody who has received Christ as Savior, that restored relationship, it is really, it's never hindered by God. It is only hindered by our failure to keep our sins confessed, our failure to sincerely try to obey and follow Christ in our life. Uh, Believers standing with God, remember that, is that we have been fully reconciled in Christ. Our state, uh, in other words, what we really have in our possession now is that every believer is as close to God as they really want to be. Our old friends used to have a plaque by their front door, and it said, if you're not close to God today, guess who moved? And I I always liked that plaque and still think of it from time to time. And we just rejoice together that we have a Creator who desires to be close to us. Now, most of us understand that we're going to need to sacrifice and suffer at times for the things that are most important in life. You show me someone who's unwilling to sacrifice and suffer at all, and I'll show you someone who has no healthy relationships, they have no meaning or purpose to their life, and they have no rewards from our God waiting for them in Christ's kingdom. And though we all know and understand the need to sacrifice and suffer, every fiber of our fallen nature resists sacrificing and suffering for anything other than ourselves. Our selfishness, our pride that beset us all, fights that sacrifice and suffering for things other than ourselves. Did you know that there's some suffering we're supposed to choose to make the Lord's church go farther and thrive? Brings up a couple interesting questions. What is it costing you to do your ministry for the Lord? Do you suffer at all to fulfill your part in the body of Christ here? If you're a member of Bible Baptist Church, you are a body part in the body of Christ here. Whether you like it or not. Do you suffer at all to fulfill your part in Christ's body here? You see, part of the task of each body part in the body of Christ is to simply be present. (laughs) To be in our place in Christ's body. 
If you would stand tonight in honor of God's word, the title of my thought is Our Afflictions for Christ's Church. Our Afflictions for Christ's Church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul here says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you. You might be seated. So we think about these Bible verses, we begin to see, beginning in verse 24, that Paul's sufferings were not just for Christ, though they were for Christ. They were also for God's people and the Lord's church. Uh, beginning in verse 24, who now rejoice my sufferings for you. You see, Paul's sufferings for the Lord's churches filled up some of the suffering for the church that was not yet full. That's how the verse closed out. He says, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now we read that and, and, and we kind of have to process that a little bit. If you keep your hand there, if you go back to Acts chapter 20, uh, most of us are, are really familiar with the high price that Christ paid uh, for his church, to establish his church. In Acts chapter 20, where Paul is speaking to the elders, the church staff from the church in Ephesus, he says to them in verse 26, Acts 20, 26, he says, Wherefore I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men. How did he stay pure from the blood of all men? Verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, Paul didn't just preach the gospel. Paul didn't just preach and teach his favorite topics. Paul taught them all the counsel of God. That's how he stayed pure from the blood of all men. Verse 28, his warning to these leaders. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. God purchased the church with his own blood. Most of us are familiar that the church, I mean, it cost Christ everything. He purchased it with his blood. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 5, because we are familiar with the price Christ paid. And, you know, I think most of us are also familiar with Christ giving himself for the church. And by church, of course, I mean the New Testament definition of a church. The New Testament definition of a church is a local body of baptized believers. Ideally, it has a spiritual leader that is called a pastor or an elder or bishop. Ideally, it is focused on the Great Commission. That's what the word church means when it is used in the New Testament. If you don't agree with that, it's not a hard study to do. Jesus only used the word 22 times. Check it out. Uh, but notice in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it. So Christ purchased the church with his blood, says he loved the church and gave himself for it. What does Jesus think about a local assembly of baptized believers like this assembly here? who have a spiritual leader whose focus is attempted to be in the Great Commission, he loves places like this. He gave himself for places like this. Verse 29 says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. What does Jesus think about places like this? He nourishes it and he cherishes it. Now, by and large, in American Christianity, because so many people get their information from books by national authors and national preachers rather than pastors and the Bible itself, most people misdefine the church and they define it as all believers everywhere. That is a false doctrine. The church, as the word is used in the New Testament, is a local assembly of baptized believers, ideally with a spiritual leader that's called a pastor or elder or a bishop, and the Great Commission as its focus. Listen, the word means assembly. And so all believers will not be the church until we all assemble in heaven with Christ. Now, most of you here on a Wednesday night, uh, if you've been here any length of time, uh, you know what I just said. I mean, you know what a local church is. You know its value uh, to Christ. You understand all of that. And though mature believers, uh, knowledgeable ones, understand the New Testament definition of a church, notice if you go back into Colossians again to our uh, text, uh, many believers are not aware, uh, first, that some part of suffering for the church is still lacking. Some part of suffering for the church is still lacking. Verse 24, Paul said, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Notice some of the afflictions for the church are behind that needed to be filled up. You see, this is not to purchase the church. Uh, The blood of Christ fully paid for that. This is not to purchase our own salvation or earn the love of God. Listen, Jesus Christ fully purchased our redemption on the cross with his shed blood, his death, and his resurrection. He fully did that. This has nothing to do with our salvation. And by the way, this has nothing to do with God loving you or not loving you. Uh, God loves you and He loves me, not because of what we do or fail to do. God loves you and God loves me because God is love. That is not for sale. That is not purchased with our faithfulness. This is not purchased with our suffering for Christ or for His church, for taking part in the afflictions that are not filled up for His church. That being said, believers are supposed to be afflicted at times so Christ's church can thrive and do what a church is supposed to do. Listen, if believers fail to pay their part of the afflictions for the Lord's church, it will not thrive, and it will not accomplish Christ's purpose. You see, Paul was willing to suffer because he understood that a dispensation of God had been given to him for God's people. Verse 25, he says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. 
You see, Paul had become a steward of some information about Christ. God had dispensed some truth to his care. By the way, if you go to Bible Baptist Church, God has entrusted some truth to your care. You and I, God didn't put you and I in a church where literally from four years old, uh, three years old in the nursery, all the way up through high school and all the way through college and young adulthood and in all seven of our adult Bible classes and from this pulpit, no matter who's behind you here, when they're preaching and teaching the things of God, God didn't put us in this environment and not expect us to be stewards of the information that he exposed us to. God exposed Paul to some information about Christ, and Paul became a steward of that. See, Paul had been made what he was by the Lord. Did you see that? Whereby I am made a minister. Wasn't born when he's made one. Uh, he was not that uh, because of his gift. He, he, he got that because he yielded to God. Uh, by the way, if you and I become anything in life or in the Lord's work, it's because we yield to God. And God makes us into the image of Christ. See, Paul had been given what he had been given, not for his own wealth or his own pleasure. He had been given that for others. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. By the way, any gifts you and I have really are not so that you and I can look in the mirror and flex our muscles and say, wow, look at me. God didn't give you or me natural and spiritual gifts for our own good. They're not just, listen, if you're gifted here, and everybody here is gifted, you're not just gifted to have more bedrooms in a house, more acreage with your land, more and a better car to drive. I'm not saying that God didn't, uh, doesn't allow us to use those gifts for things like that to a degree, but that isn't why he gave them to us. Sacrificially using our gifts for the work of Christ and trying to help others is very different from consuming our natural and spiritual gifts on ourselves. Listen, uh, God's given me a good mind and relatively good health. Uh, listen, I, I have the same aches and pains that uh, many of you have. But God didn't just give me them to consume on my own pleasure, entertainment, and profit in life. I'm supposed to suffer and sacrificially use them for the most part for something greater than myself and my own personal benefit. Paul wasn't suffering jail in Rome for breaking Roman laws. He was suffering there for Christ's sake and for Christ's church's sake. He was called and gifted by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He was called and gifted by God to take the gospel to places where Christ had not previously been named. He was called and gifted to plant churches and train leaders to pastor those churches when he left to do the same thing in another city. He was called and gifted by God to be the pen of much of the whole New Testament. And so when you and I read about Paul being beaten with rods or uh, whipped 
39 times 40 stripes save one, or when we read about him being shipwrecked, or when we read about him being jailed, or when we read about him floating on a board in the sea for a day and night. Uh, understand he did that for Christ's sake, but there's a part of that where he was filling up the afflictions that needed to still be paid, not to purchase the church, but so that the church would thrive in his day. And though we don't like it much, if the Lord's church is going to be built and thrive, someone needs to sacrifice. I think sometimes when we moved out of the UAW hall into a building, some folks felt like, eh, I don't need to sacrifice anymore. I fear that since God gave us this new addition, that some people are going to get the attitude, well, we've arrived now. If you know me very well at all, I've been around me much, you, you know my goal was never, ever from day one to have a big church. My goal has always been to be faithful. We're literally doing the same exact things today that we did 16 years ago. The same exact things. We, we, we didn't do them to grow large then. We're not doing them to grow large today. We're doing them to be faithful. In case you didn't uh, realize, uh, for those of you who are, say, well, we have enough people, I don't need to do anything anymore. It, it, that, that isn't why we do things. We do things to be faithful to Christ. To do what he's called us to do. And only God can give spiritual growth. Only God can give numerical growth that actually matters. And part of the recipe for spiritual growth for God's people is for God's people to fill up the afflictions that are not yet filled for you and I to suffer and sacrifice to take our place in Christ's body. There are a lot of people here who've done that so that the Lord's church here can be where she is now. A lot of different ways. And all of us, I think, if you've been here any length of time, have grown weary and well-doing at times and had the thought pass through our mind that it's somebody else's turn to sacrifice. And some people have given into it. That thought didn't just pass through their mind. They caught it, grabbed it, put it in a jar, and sat on the can. And I say to all of us tonight, it is our turn to suffer and sacrifice so the Lord's church can go forward as long as God gives us life here. I get it. We, none of us will all of our days be able to do, quote, what we once did. I don't think God requires of any of us what we once did. What I believe God requires of all of us, myself included, is to do everything we're able to do. We should all be paying some kind of price to keep our commitment to the Lord's ministry here. In other words, we should all suffer at times for the Lord's church. And in doing that, we're suffering and serving Christ because the church is His body. The church is His bride. It is the means through which Christ planned to nourish and feed and strengthen His people. 
Have you ever really just stopped to think about all the sacrifice that goes on so we can even assemble on a night like this? Many things done in many cases by many years and that are being done right now so, so you and I can sit here and enjoy a service. Who's working security? Who cleaned the building? Who turned the lights on? Who swept the rug? Who cleaned the bathrooms? Who took out the garbage? Who prepared lessons? Who practiced their songs and singing? Who's in the nursery? Who counts the money? Who keeps the books? Who pays the bill? Who purchases the cleaning supplies? Who does the maintenance? The sound doesn't turn itself on. Somebody makes the video stream work so that there's live stream. You know, it bothers me when we don't grasp the importance of our role. It bothers me when you think the only important role here is mine. Can I say, someday in judgment, how you did your role will be just as important as how I did mine. And you and I will all be judged at the kind of effort and heart we made into filling and being our body part. It bothers me when our cleaning crew, grounds crew, nursery workers, and teachers don't find a way to do their ministry. When there's an excuse for not showing up. Did, did you know somebody still came in and cleaned the building even though it was a holiday weekend? Now, I don't know. Nobody said anything. But I would bet we had other people who said, well, it's a holiday weekend. I'm not going to clean. And somebody else just did their job because they didn't want to suffer. They didn't want to do it at a different time, and so they had a good reason, so they just didn't do what they committed to do. What would you think of me if I did that? Would you lose some measure of respect for me? So who are you talking to? I have no idea. This is what you call preventative maintenance. I've always believed that the real depth of my commitment and faith are demonstrated when it's not easy to fill my calling. When it's not easy to keep my commitment to the church. I don't believe I show anything when it's easy for me to do my job. And for anybody that really wants to know the real depth of your faith, your real depth to fulfilling Christ's plan and purpose for your life in your body part here, I get it. As a follower of Christ, we have a role in our world. As a follower of Christ, we have a role in, this, in His church. I, I get that. I get that this affects many areas, our home, our marriage, how we do lots of things, how we handle ourselves at work. I, I get that. But tonight, we're in Colossians chapter 1, and Paul's talking about filling up the afflictions for, not just for Christ, but for His body's sake, which is the church. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I believe you should be as committed to do your part here as I am to do mine. By the way, I'm not committed here because you pay me. This may disappoint you, but I don't even believe I work for you. You might think I work for you. 
but I don't believe that. So who do you think you are? Listen, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God who simply stands here tonight doing what I believe God has called and gifted me to do. I, I said this same kind of stuff when we had 10 people on a Sunday night years ago sitting in metal chairs. I didn't work for you then, I don't work for you now. If you're going out of town on Saturday, would you find a way to do your cleaning on Thursday or Friday or just let your leader know you're gone for the weekend? If your child was sick for your turn in nursery, would you just text Cheryl and cancel? Or would you find a way to trade to make sure you took your turn? If it was your week to teach in your ministry and it was a busy week, would you find a way to spend an hour so you could prepare to speak? Or would you just say, ah, they're just kids, I can wing it. Hey, listen. There's nobody in here dying for lack of sleep. If nourishment came by time on our phone, listen, we'd all be real healthy. By the grace of God, I have given the best years and the best of my strength to Christ and to His church. I'm not a young man anymore. And God helping me he will get whatever strength and soundness of mine I have until he says, that's enough. By the way, I'm not the only one here. There's a lot of people here. And Bible Baptist Church is what she is today because you and your niche have tried to do the same thing that I've tried to do in mine. Just fully give myself to it. This, my, my regrets have nothing to do with looking back and thinking that I focused too much of my time or my family or, 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 on the things of God in His church. I have no regrets about that. If I have any regrets, it's looking back and, and just honestly facing my failures to not do more and to not do what I did with a better heart. I feel bad for you, for, for those of you who kind of feel like you've wasted time and wasted life, spending them and filling up in the afflictions of Christ for His church. I, I feel bad for you because you've gotten your vision so clouded. So the church isn't Jesus. Wow, you figure that all out on your own? Of course, Jesus did say to Paul when he met him on the way to Damascus, uh, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus comes back in judgment and he puts the goats in his left hand and the sheep in his right hand and his brethren are all there, and he'll say to the people, uh, uh, as much as you did it unto the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me. You want to know how you would treat the real Jesus of Nazareth? Look at how you treat his church. It's his body, it's his bride. Look at how you treat his book. He's the living word and it's the written word. 
See, Paul understood why he was suffering and sacrificing. That's how he was able to do it. It was for Christ, and he understood that if he didn't pay his price, I get it, his price was here. You, you and I ain't called to pay Paul's price. You're not called to pay my price. But you are called to pay your price. In your circle of life, in your place in life, whether you're a student or a senior citizen, whatever your price is, though men and will very rarely see it, you and I are called to pay our price so that the Lord's church would thrive and go forward. Are you deeply committed to doing your part here? If not, why not just decide that in 2023, uh, you're no longer going to haphazardly and with half your heart make excuses for not doing what you know you can and should do? What is it costing you to be a part of the Lord's church here? I know what you're thinking. It's costing me too much. I'm listening to you. Hey, listen, I get it. I was a sarcastic um, human being when the Lord saved me, and I'm working on it. I really am. I don't, listen, stuff comes out all the time. I don't ever plan how I'm saying anything. I just plan what I'm going to say. And so if you don't like how I'm saying something, just know that I thought through what. I'm just here saying, listen, the average American Christian, their attitude is dead wrong about the Lord's church. To the average American Christian and to plenty of people at Bible Baptist Church, over time or sometimes for all time, their attitude has been, it's a place I go when I have an opportunity to go, rather than it's a place I go and sacrificially serve like I've been gifted and called to do. How deep is your commitment to your ministry? You afraid to get involved? Refuse to be committed to anything at the Lord's church? And you call that a more mature attitude? Are you not committed to anything in your life? Can, can I just share with you my personal attitude from, from the earliest days of my Christianity was just simply this. If I was ever going to be miss anything, it was not going to be Christ. Not His church. I, I remember... Years and years ago, I was three quarters sick, and it was time I got up early to go to work. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, should I go to work or should I stay home? And honestly, in my heart, I wanted what the Lord wanted. Part of me. The other part of me wanted to call in sick because I got paid anyway. But I really wanted to honor the Lord. I still remember there on my knees. I went in and I got a, a nickel. And I got that nickel. I was on my knees. I said, Lord, heads, I'll go in. Tails, I'll stay home. Whatever you want. And I remember tossing it up and going to work. So that's a dumb way to make a decision. Well, maybe it is. But you know, it was all the better a decision I could make at the time. The important thing is the attitude we have behind the decisions we make. 
All kinds of people. You, you would lament there being no ministries here for your children. You would lament the bathroom or auditorium or some part of this building not being clean, the grass being long. What about you doing your part? Are you committed to the point where you suffer and afflicted to some degree because that's what the Lord wants for us to fill up the afflictions for His body, which is the church? There are some afflictions. Listen, Christ purchased the church with His blood. We are not purchasing the church. Listen, our salvation was 100% purchased by Jesus Christ. We're not purchasing that. Uh, our, God's love for us is not on the market. It has nothing to do with what we do or fail to do. But listen, there are things that will only go forward and thrive in the Lord's church if the Lord's people decide to do what Paul did, which is fill up the afflictions for his body, which is the church. But it wasn't just that Paul had a dispensation of God committed him that moved him to suffer affliction for the Lord's churches and people. Notice Paul also had a mystery committed to his care. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now when you and I read the word mystery in the New Testament, it is referring to a truth that was previously unrevealed. You've heard me say many, many times, one of the best things you and I will ever do in our life is let the Bible define the way it uses words. You're looking for a biblical definition of the word mystery as the Bible uses the word. It's right there in verse 26. It says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. What is a mystery? It was something that was hid from ages and generations in the past that is now made manifest to his saints. It's a previously unrevealed truth. If you look up the word mystery that's used 27 times, either in singular or plural in the New Testament, three of them are in the book of, uh, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. They are only referred to in the Gospel to the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. Most of Jesus' ministry was expounding on and further explaining things that he had already taught in the Old Testament. I know there was a new commandment. I know that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which are interchangeable terms, I know that's specifically said to be a mystery, but that's not what characterized the ministry of Jesus. I'm told there are seven mysteries that are given to us through Paul. Two of them are in the book of Colossians. What is the mystery, this previously unrevealed truth given to us here? Christ living inside Gentile believers, verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the church in Colossae was primarily, if not exclusively, Gentiles. Go to chapter 4. And it says in verse 10, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, 
who are of the circumcision, so they're the Jews, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, the servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. See, Epaphras was from Colossae. He was their pastor. He was one of them. And he's not included in the list of Jews who were with Paul. The church in Colossae was primarily or exclusively Gentile believers. Now, there are basically two spiritual groups in humanity, the saved and the lost. One group has Christ in their heart as Savior. The other group does not have Christ in their heart as Savior. Two groups. There are two basic physical groups among humanity, the Jews and the Gentiles. The physical Jews are people who are in the physical lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the physical Gentiles are those who are not in the physical lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is probably most, if not all of us here tonight. Now, for those who are in the spiritual group called the saved, the physical distinctions are gone. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So if you are in Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, we have the same privileges and promises in Christ. By the way, there are technically three groups of people, and Paul doesn't break them out here, but if you write, if you write and take notes, put 1 Corinthians 10.32, where Paul says, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. There are three groups in Corinth, physical Jews who are not saved, physical Gentiles who are not saved, and saved people who are Jews and Gentiles, all one in Christ. Now, we break it up for simplicity into two groups, but technically speaking, there are three. The mystery is not that God was planning to reach the Gentiles. That was clearly revealed in the Old Testament. God spoke of the coming Messiah. He said, I will give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles, Isaiah 42.6. Moses said, rejoice, O ye nations, plural, with his people, for he, we, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. Deuteronomy 32.43. Isaiah said, There shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign. To, the, to it shall the Gentiles see. God reaching out to the Gentiles was nothing new. Nothing new spoken of in the Old Testament. The mystery was not God reaching out to the Gentiles. The mystery, the previously unrevealed truth, was that Christ would be living inside Gentiles just like he lived inside believing Jews. By the way, and that's why it says, if you go back to the text there in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory, not Christ in us. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said to his Jewish apostles that the Spirit of God was with them and shall be in you. That was not... <laughs> new information when Paul wrote this, that Christ would live in the Jews. The new information, the mystery, the previously unrevealed truth would be that Jesus Christ would live in the person of the Holy Spirit in Gentile believers. 
Now we spent a whole series of Sunday night messages talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's sad to me that generally speaking, we take for granted that God lives in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, and we think too little of this great privilege that our body is the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So why do you think we take it too lightly? Because of the way we treat our bodies. See, this great truth about the Holy Spirit living inside us, Christ in us, it was hidden from ages and from generations, but is manifest now in the New Testament to His saints. Because the Spirit lives in us, uh, you and I have as much access to God as any believer from the physical lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because His Holy Spirit lives in us, we can say greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world, and we can resist and defeat Satan. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, our salvation is eternally secure, and you and I are sealed by the Spirit until the day God redeems us from this life. Because the Spirit lives in us, we have a teacher that lives in us, that teaches us through those he's called and gifted to preach and teach his Bible and also personally teaches us as we read the scriptures for ourselves. Because the Spirit of God lives in us, every believer, I don't care if you're here and you're seven and you're a believer or you're 97 and you're a believer, because God's Spirit lives in you, you can manifest all nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, Joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You can. So I wasn't raised that way. We aren't what we are because we were raised that way. So you don't know how my family, my family, they're just all hotheads. Listen, none of us are slaves to our genetic disposition. Every one of us can, in yielding to the Spirit that lives in us, the great mystery, we can manifest all this fruit. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a believer, I hope you will humble yourself and call upon the Lord with a repentant spirit, because He wants to save you. And if you are saved, I hope that you will yield to the Holy Spirit living in you, so that you can become and do what God designed and gifted you to do. One of the things that drives me as a pastor and a spiritual leader is to do everything I can to try to find your spiritual gifts and to somehow, some way, put you in a situation where you can use them. You say, why? Because I believe that you will be just as fulfilled doing what God gifted and called you to do as I am doing what God gifted and called me to do. Listen, there is no way to follow Christ and have the price be cheap. Salvation is free because Christ paid it all. Discipleship is expensive because the cost is our life. What? Know you not that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God, and you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not just that my life doesn't belong to me. Your life doesn't belong to you either. It has nothing to do with you going to Africa and living in a hut. It has everything to do with you finding what God has gifted and called you to do and just doing it. It'll be hard sometimes, but it'll really make you feel good inside. I feel bad. I really do. For those of you who don't pay your price to do what God's gifted and called you to do. I don't feel bad because we're scrambling for workers here sometimes, though I wish we didn't have to do that. I feel bad because you go through life missing what God wants to give you. Can I say the best thing that happened to me when I got saved from a human perspective? I guess, I know the best thing was that God forgave me and I get to go to heaven. The best thing that happened to me was that for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a real purpose. I tried all kinds of things. All kinds of things. But they didn't fill my heart. And I really, I wish you could have the fullness of heart that Christ wants to give you. Amen? You quietly stand.